Well, good morning, BCC. Oh, good to see you, whether you're here in the building or whether you're sitting out in the cafe or if you're joining us online, welcome to you. So glad that you're here. We've been going through the book of Ephesians and we are in Ephesians chapter three. So if you wanna go ahead and turn there, we'll get to that in just a moment. My wife and I had the privilege of being able to go into our children's ministry this morning into Kids City and to be able to introduce ourselves to the kids. And they had some questions for us and they asked them in a very interesting way. They were given the opportunity to ask questions, have them written down. They were placed inside an Easter egg. Said Easter eggs were placed in a larger container of these things, I think they're called Orbeez, and they're these little tiny, like, wet, gooey, gross, gelatinous feeling ball things that I stuck my hand in and had to find the Easter egg, pop it out. Kids had a lot of fun with it. We had a lot of fun with it. One of the questions that was asked this morning was what were some childhood memories? And I was able to share a childhood memory or two with the kids and get to know them a little bit. And as I was thinking on childhood memories, I remember when I was a teenager that my friend James and I, we worked at a grocery store together. James was gonna spend the night and we were gonna ride to work together the next day. And we were 16, 17 or so. And neither one of us were very athletic or had ever really lifted weights before. But my dad had bought a weight set and put it in the garage. And this was our opportunity to get swole. So James and I had concocted a plan we said, we're gonna work out till we can't lift any more weight and we're just gonna be so jacked up tomorrow and swole and the ladies are gonna be really impressed. So James and I went to the house and we did exactly what we said. We cranked up, you know, the, the really, you know, heavy rock music. So we're like, and we had no idea what we were doing, but we had seen it on TV. And so we were doing our best impression of weightlifting as best as we could figure out how to do it. And so here's James and I lifting, till we couldn't lift another pound. And we thought, in the morning, we're just gonna like have these huge muscles. Well, in the morning, neither James or myself could move. Um, I remember that first time, I couldn't lift my arms, I couldn't bend them. I walked around all day like this. And I, I just vividly remember not being able to specifically bend my arms. I had to like focus and concentrate to barely get them to bend. Here's the problem. James and I had to work that day. James was a cashier, and I was the guy that would put your groceries in the bag. And so I'm the paper or plastic guy, right? James is sitting there scanning, and he's scanning like this. And I'm paper or plastic, and I'm putting your items in the bag like so. Could barely move. Our manager thought this was incredible, and so he laughed all day long. No mercy whatsoever. I remember him laughing quite extensively at that because we had this same idea that I think a lot of us as Christians have. The harder that I work, the more that I do, the stronger that I'm going to get. And we think the same is true of our spiritual strength. I gotta try really, really hard to be really, really strong spiritually and we just end up wearing ourselves out. But it's not in the work, rather it's in the rest 
that we actually grow. I didn't understand that at the time, but rest is required for us to grow in spiritual strength. The same is true of our physical bodies. Yes, we do lift heavy things. Yes, we do get worn out. But it's during those times of rest where the body actually repairs, the body actually heals, and we're able to grow. And it's in resting in understanding who I am in Christ and whose I am in Christ that helps me to be stronger as I deal with all the challenges that we may face in life. And just like that physical body, the same is true of our spiritual growth. When I actually ended up later in life hiring a personal trainer and learning how to lift correctly and actually got into weight training, I, at first I was very excited about it and I wanted to just do it all the time. I wanted to just lift weights, lift weights, lift weights. That's all I wanted to do to the point to where I became obsessed and got really unhealthy with lifting weights. I would come into the gym, I kid you not, this is not an over-exaggeration, I would come into the gym and have two wrist braces on because my wrists were hurting. I would have two elbow braces on because my elbows were hurting. I would have two knee braces on, and then I would have my weight training belt on so I didn't injure my back. And I would walk into the gym like this, let's go, let's go, lightweight, lightweight, boo, yeah, let's lift, get swole, right? I didn't understand that I needed to give myself time to rest, and I thought more, more, more. And that's what a lot of us think. We think, I gotta do more, I gotta try harder, I gotta work harder, and we end up actually wearing ourselves out because we miss out on this vital spiritual principle of growing in rest. Because we have to rest in who we are in Christ and whose we are. Last week we talked about spiritual identity. And we talked about understanding the fact that we are now no longer obligated to sin, but we're now free in Christ. And that freedom should cause us to rest because it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And I am able to trust and rest in the finished work of the cross instead of feeling like I'm always having to play makeup with God. If I always feel like I'm playing from behind, I always feel like God's mad at me all the time and I'm having to earn his forgiveness, I'm misunderstanding the gospel. If I feel like I'm always having to try to do good things to get in God's grace, I'm having to commit more and do more, and I wear myself out, and my heart oftentimes isn't even in it because I'm trying to get something from God or trying to earn something from God. Or perhaps maybe I'm doing things to try to feel like I can somehow in my own strength obligate God into doing something for me because maybe I saw him do it for someone else a certain way and I'm trying to run through the pragmatics and the steps and I'm just trying to see, you know what God, if you did this for them this way, I want you to do it for me so I'm going to work really hard to do everything right. And oftentimes we just end up getting worn out and we get disappointed and we get frustrated and it's because we haven't rested in who he is. We're trying to make something happen in our own strength. We're trying to lift everything heavy in our own strength, and we're wearing ourselves out. One of the most popular verses, Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You probably have this written on something in your home that you purchased from Hobby Lobby, right? I mean, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the problem is, is that we hear this verse and we read this verse and we think that that means I can do this. And we look to ourselves and Jesus helps out. 
you know, like he gives me like the boost I need. And we misinterpret this scripture. I think Philippians 4.13 is probably one of the most misinterpreted scriptures on the planet because people think that it means I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and it means I'm going to ace this job interview or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I'm going to be able to pass this math test or I'm going to be able to, you know, um, uh, endure this thing or that thing. And, and, and I think that we think oftentimes that it's like we've been doing this on our own, but now we need like the supercharging of Christ to really help us. And I think that we miss out on what that really means because the scripture there in Philippians 4 and 13, there's a greater context at play. And anytime that you're reading scripture, you always need to interpret it in light of the context. And so that sentence there of Philippians 4 and 13 only has meaning when it's interpreted by the paragraph. And the paragraph only has meaning when it's interpreted by that literary unit in that section of scripture dealing with that particular topic. That literary unit only has meaning when it's interpreted in light of the rest of that book or that letter, whatever have you. The, that book or that letter only has meaning when it's interpreted in light of the rest of scripture. This is how we make sure that we're interpreting scripture correctly so we don't cherry pick scripture and come up with our own ideas and make the Bible say what we want it to say and somehow come up with a cookie cutter scrapbook version of the Bible where we just piecemeal things together. So when we look at Philippians 4 and 13, we need to back up and see what Paul was saying before he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is how we should look at all of scripture. And when you back up, what you see is that the Apostle Paul said, listen, I have learned how to be a base and I have learned how to abound. In other words, Paul is writing this from prison and he's saying, I have done well and I have been good to do well and I've learned how to still depend on Christ when I'm doing well. I have also learned how to do well when things aren't going my way and I'm struggling. Maybe he's in prison or when he's being beaten or when he's being uh, arrested for sharing the gospel. He's saying, I've learned how to be content in both of these situations, whether I'm doing really well and everybody likes me or whether everybody hates me and they're running my name through the mud. And he says, the reason that I can do these things is because of Christ who gives me strength. And he's saying that in Christ is my source of strength, whether things are going my way or whether they're not. Because as you've learned in life, not everything is always going to go your way, right? There may be some of you right now that are listening to this message. There are things, weighty things, that are going on in your life that are not trending the direction you want them to trend. There are things that may be happening in our world that are not trending the direction you want them to trend. What is your response, Christian? How is the Christian to live in the middle of a world that we cannot control outcomes, people, situations, that no matter how good we get at manipulating, we cannot move the, the puppet strings the way to get things to, to end up the way we want? How do we function? Well, I have to recognize that it is not me who has the strength to be able to deal with what I'm facing this day, but rather it is Christ in me, whether things are going my way or whether they're not. Because we all like it when things go our way, right? We can all high five when things are going our way. We'll say, God, just let me win the lottery. Give me the right numbers and I promise, I promise I'll, I'll give some to the church. I'll give it all to the church, Lord. Just, yeah, that's what people say. They say goofy things like that because they make all these promises thinking that somehow they can get the outcome they want 
if they just say or do all the right things. And you're trusting in yourself. It's not you through you who gives you strength. It's Christ in me, amen? It's not greater is you who is in you. It's greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. We have to stop this self-reliance thing because it's creating a rhythm and a pattern of us not truly anchoring ourselves in the gospel and understanding the gospel. And this is what Paul wants to equip the Ephesians with. He wants them to understand the gospel and be anchored in the gospel because he knows that there are going to be many false teachers that are going to try to sway them from seeing Jesus as sufficient. He knows there's going to be many false teachers that are going to use Jesus and the name of Jesus in order to uh, perpetuate some sort of selfish gain or pander, some sort of idea of using Christ or Christianity for selfish gain. That I can become a Christian and God will do everything I want. And he knows there's going to be those false teachers. He knows there's going to be people, be people who twist and manipulate the words of Christ. And he wants the people of God to be anchored in their need, to be anchored in their reliance, anchored in their dependence, anchored in their source of strength being not in themselves, but in Christ. So for us to be strengthened, we have to rest. We have to rest. Amen, church? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, and let's read these first 13 verses here. Ephesians 3 and verse 1, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now stop right there. This is a huge revelation. This is a big deal because Paul is saying the mystery of the gospel has now been revealed in Christ that people who were on the outside are now on the inside. The Gentiles or the non-Jewish people Anyone who didn't grow up in a Jewish household with Jewish traditions, being a part of the covenant people uh, that could trace their heritage all the way back to Abraham, anyone who was born outside of that has not been in covenant with God. But now through Christ, Paul says the mystery is not only now are they a part, but he actually calls them joint heirs. This is mind-blowing stuff. I remember a few years back, my wife and I uh, felt the Lord leading us to um, have a foster child in our home. And it was a situation with some people we knew, and we brought this little boy into our home. And we thought at the time that we're really good rule makers, and we're really good parents, and we're just going to parent this kid the same way we parented our kid, and we're going to get the same result of having a good kid that's just going to do everything our kids do at eh, wrong. <laughs> Uh, it didn't take very long at all for us to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are weighing over our heads with some of this because we didn't realize that this child was bringing in not only his wounds, not only his pain, not only his baggage, but his way of normal, his values, his things that were important to him, the things that brought him safety and security. And those things were very, 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 did I say very, very different from the things that we had taught our children. And so when we tried to just 
cookie cutter, say, this is how we do things in our home. This little guy wasn't having it. And there was a struggle. There was tension. And I'm supposed to treat and love this child just as if he were one of my own, but he's not acting like one of my own. That was a challenge. There were some very difficult days. And those of you who have uh, fostered children, you know what I'm talking about. It's very challenging days and very challenging times. Definitely very rewarding. But it's also very challenging because you're bringing in someone who is an outsider and you're making them a part of your family. And this is the same idea that Paul is saying what Christ has done is that he's taken these people who didn't grow up with Jewish values, with Jewish traditions. And now not only are they a part of your family, but guess what, folks? They're joint heirs. <gasps> you mean that person? Yeah, that person. You mean that person who did me wrong? You mean that person who has a reputation? You mean that person who has different values than me? That person who may think differently than me? That person who may do things differently than me? They, may, they, they're, they're, they, they don't look the same as me? But because of Christ, because of their faith in Christ, they're now joint heirs? Like, you mean it's not even a tiered system where they're kind of like, I'm here because like, I mean, I've been, I've been in this church for all my life. Bless God. Let me tell you, I've been, you know, a Christian. I listen to nothing but Christian music, wear nothing but Christian t-shirts. I drive a Christian car. I got a Christian dog. I got a Christian fish. We eat Christian food. We celebrate all the Christian days. And you're telling me this outsider is the same as me? That's what happened in the minds of these Jewish people. This is tough stuff. This is not easy. This is not something that they're just going, yay, all right, Gentiles, part of our family. Yeah, bring it in. Let's take some photos together. No. No. It's not, let's invite them to the church picnic. No, it's Gentiles, outsiders. But the great mystery that's been revealed in Christ is that they're joint heirs. They're a part. This is the part that now we have this new identity like we talked about last week where we were this way and we were far away from God but now because of Christ we've been brought near. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And Paul wants them to understand that he too, even though he's someone who's looked at as an apostle, he was once far away. And he's saying, I get it. I'm the least of the apostles. Like I, I, I understand this grace that's been shown to me. And I understand what God has done in Christ. And he's wanting to help them understand it as well. And he said uh, this, verse 7, he says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he was realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. Paul is communicating the same idea that we read about in Philippians 4 and 13. I got strength to go through this. Don't feel sorry for me. My strength comes from Christ. My strength comes from his grace. 
I realize that it is his grace that I'm even in this position. And he's acknowledging his dependence. He's declaring his dependence on Christ. And he says this boldness and confidence and strength, it all comes from faith in him. That's what he says in verse 12. Through him we have boldness and access with confidence. All of this comes through faith in him. This is where I rest. This is where I trust. This is where I declare my dependence on him. And strength comes from our dependence on Christ. And that's a very difficult idea for us often as Westerners, as Americans to get because we celebrate independence. We celebrate individuality. We celebrate this idea of iPhone, iMovie, iTV, you know, i everything, right? We celebrate this idea of I want my customized life my way and I'm gonna choose for me what I wanna do and I'm an independent individual. And we celebrate those things, but yet as we look at scripture, it's not our independence that God celebrates, rather it's our need and our dependence for him. That's a very conflicting idea with our value system often because we wanna prove that we can make it. We wanna prove we can do it. We wanna show you, we'll get, if I'm not strong enough, I'll get strong enough. There's no challenge too great. We're gonna overcome this hurdle. And when God's like, yeah, I'm not impressed, I actually want you to declare how awesome I am and how much you need me. It's actually in our declaring of our weakness and our need and our limit and in our humility that we actually find strength and that's how we grow. That's what he wants us to get to. That's what he wants us to see. Let's keep reading as Paul prays this prayer for spiritual strength. In verse 14, for this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He says a few interesting things here. He says, first of all, he said, for this reason, I bow my knee. He said, I'm bowing my knees. This is something very significant that spans beyond our understanding of bowing knees. Because when we think about bowing of the knee, we think of someone praying, right? Well, the traditional way that Paul would have prayed that was the more common way of praying is actually standing. A lot of the Jews still practice standing prayers. They stand at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and they pray. That's their prayer posture. Or another way that is common for Paul to have prayed would have been to lay flat on the ground with his arms stretched out, acknowledging his helplessness and acknowledging his need for God. And so the more common positions of prayer would be to lay flat or to stand. And it's very significant that Paul says, I bow my knees here because he's actually declaring something because this bowing of the knee is a posture of humility and it's a posture of acknowledging I'm in the presence of one who has supreme authority over me. That's why when you would see, like if you watch some old you know, medieval movies or something like that, a knight walks into the presence of the king, what's the first thing he does? He, he bows. Why does, why does he bow his knee? What, what is he doing? He's saying, I am recognizing that who I'm addressing, who I'm talking to, who I'm trying to gain an audience with, 
is one who has authority over me. And so Paul is saying, I'm recognizing my position as one who is in the presence of one who is more powerful than me, one who has authority over me, and I am acknowledging that by the posturing of my prayer. So when he prays these things, he's praying for spiritual strength, saying, I need you, and I require that from you because you have all power and all authority, and he is declaring that and asking that there would be strength given through the power of his spirit in the inner being. For what? What is he acknowledging and requiring and requesting strength for? Because he's knowing that there's difficulties because they're prisons that they were in. Guess what, folks? They weren't prisons like what we know prisons are today. There were no cushions. There was no temperature control. There was no cable TV. I mean, Paul is in a really dark place. And the interesting thing is that Paul is not praying for his release. I don't know about you. This is just me, okay? But if I'm in prison and, you know, someone says, what can I be praying for you for, brother? Get me out of here. Uh, I, want to, I want prayers for my release. And that's what a lot of us would probably want. Why? Because it's stinky. And it's uncomfortable. And I don't like it in here because I don't like being captive. It's a very dark, lonely place that's not anything like what you or I have, could ever imagine. But yet, Paul is praying for strength, not only for himself, but he's praying for strength for the other followers of Christ, that they may be able to stand whenever they're faced with persecution, or when their faith may be challenged, or when they may get discouraged, or when they may want to quit and give up, or when things may get really hard for them. He's praying for strength. And that, that strength comes from acknowledging the supremacy of the God that we serve, that the very breath in our lungs is of him and is from him and is a gift from him. And that requires me to be humble. And not only do I need rest to grow in spiritual strength, but humility is required to grow in spiritual strength. And I don't like Webster's dictionary um, definition of humility because Webster would define humility as thinking really low of oneself. And there's some truth to that, I get that. But the definition that I gave when I was asked by someone not too long ago, how would I define the word humble or humility? I said this, said that humility is an acknowledgement and a recognition of your limitations. It's me realizing my need. It's me saying, I know I am finite. I know I am limited. I know I can only run so fast, jump so high. I know I'm only so good at laser tag like we played on Friday night with the men's group because when I played, I was gasping for air and realized I have limitations. <laughs> and yesterday morning when I woke up, those, real, those realizations of those limitations were quite you know, present in my physical body as I woke up and said, oh, I'm not as young as I used to be. And I stretched for like 30 seconds and thought I had done an adequate job of stretching. Um, but I didn't, and I really didn't even run around that much, but I sweat a whole lot and looked like I did, and that's what counts. <clears throat> but I realized I'm limited. I can only do so much. There's only so much time. I, I, I'm limited by time. Guess what? God isn't. God's infinite. God is not limited. He's not restrained. You and I, we have limits, and humility recognizes limits. 
recognizes my inability to control outcomes, recognizes my need for God and saying, Lord, I can't do this. But we like to declare, I got this, right? We'll tell people, you need help? Nope, I got this, especially us guys, right? You need help lifting that, honey? Nope, I got this. In your mind, you're thinking, I hope I got this because I don't want to embarrass myself. But humility says, I don't got this. And I know that's not good English, but at the same time, it's true. I don't got this. You don't got this. It's not me looking to myself for strength. It's not greater is me who is in me. It's greater is he who's in me. And when I remember who I am and whose I am, I have to declare dependence by humbling myself, by bowing my knees, by asking God for his strength. Not when I get to the place where I realize I, I, I don't have any strength because I've tried really hard. No, every single day. God, I need you today. It's my declaration of dependence. It's my declaring my need for you and declaring my acknowledgement of your sufficiency that I need you in all things, whether you're going through a challenge right now or whether things are really going your way in life. We can often drift away from declaring our need for God when things seem to be going our way. You know, if you just got a big check in the mail last week, if the boss gave you a promotion, if you just made some headway in a relationship that maybe there was tension there and things are going good, now all of a sudden you go, whew, don't have to pray anymore. Well, glad that's over with. Sometimes we think the only time we have to pray is when everything seems to be falling apart. No, we need to pray every single day because we need to be driven by the value that prayer deepens our dependence on God. It's not just us wasting our breath. It's not just us saying things into the air. No, it is us praying and declaring to God, I need you. And I need you every single day, not just when things are falling apart around me. Amen, church? So I need rest to grow in spiritual strength. I need humility to grow in spiritual strength. And then Paul says this. He talks in verse 17, he says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you will be rooted and grounded in love and may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What's the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses your knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a beautiful prayer that Paul is praying here for the church in Ephesus. He's saying that he wants the church to be rooted and grounded in love. So yes, I need to rest. Yes, I need to be humble. But love is required to grow in spiritual strength. And it is this love, this love of God that has been shed abroad in my heart that has changed me, that I recognize I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own, that I now belong to Jesus because of what he's done. And I put my faith and my hope and my trust in him alone and nothing else, not in myself, not in anything else that would promise me something. No, instead I put my faith and my hope and my trust and my rest and my source of strength solely in Christ because of the great love with which he has loved me. And you and I have freely received this love. And scripture gives us a charge about that kind of love we freely received. Scripture says that freely you've received, so guess what? Freely give. We're not some sort of container of love that's just supposed to hoard it up for ourselves. Too many Christians see themselves as spiritual hoarders. 
to where they just store up for themselves all of the blessings of God, all the good things of God. And we always say we want more, more, more. I want more of God. I want more revelation of who he is. I want more of his love, more of his forgiveness, more of his kindness being shown to me. And I ask God to do a lot of things for me, more, 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 when we need to stop looking at ourselves, Christian, as a container of the blessings of God and look at ourselves more as a conduit to where something flows into me and then it flows right out of me. You see, that love actually gives the Christ follower strength because I have been blessed to be a blessing I have freely received from God, and so now I'm going to freely give. And we all like that because it sounds good in theory, but it's difficult in practice. One of those things where how many of us want God to hold a grudge against us? Anybody want God to hold a grudge against you? No, no hands? Okay. I'll assume those of you online, no hands as well. I don't want God to hold a grudge against me because guess what? He doesn't. He freely gives me forgiveness and grace and mercy, but I'm hesitant to give it to other people. Hmm, but I'm really good at wanting it, really good at receiving it, really good at recognizing I need it, especially when I've sinned, when I've fallen short and I go to him and I confess my sin. Jesus, I need you. I want you to forgive me. And then all of a sudden, someone offends you, someone does something wrong to you, and you're like, well, that was not fair. That wasn't right. I'm going to get swole up and mad about this for the next 10 years. And I'm not saying what happened to you or what that person did was right or was fair. It was probably unjust. It was probably cruel. It was probably heartless. There were probably things said and done that are very painful. And when those things come back up or something triggers that memory it can become something very painful for you. I, I understand that. I've been there. Those things have happened to me too, okay? But who do I think I am to freely receive something from God because of who I've been and how he has freely given me this grace and this forgiveness and this love, and I want to decide then who is qualified to receive the love of God that's been shown to me that I'm supposed to show to them? I think that's hypocritical, wouldn't you say? where I'm willing to get something for myself, but I'm not willing to give it, and it was free, and I'm hoarding it up for myself. We're not to be spiritual hoarders of the blessings of God. We are to be conduits of the love of God to where we give freely because of the great love that's been shown to us, where we are willing to be intentionally, on purpose, inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. That's called sacrifice. And the Apostle Paul makes mention of sacrifice in Romans 12 and verses 1 and 2, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act, he says, of worship. This is an acceptable, a good act of, of worship. This is something that is pleasing in the eyes of God. But what is he beseeching? What is he pleading what is he appealing to them he's appealing to them on behalf of what god's done he's saying because of what you've received doesn't it just make sense it's reasonable it's reasonable it just makes sense for you to live in this way it just makes sense for you to freely give because how you have freely received not for us to hold on to grudges not for us to hold things against one another. And I understand sometimes you've tried to reconcile and you've tried to love people well and make things right where there existed tension before. 
and it didn't necessarily all work out to where everything's you know happy-go-lucky and everything's fine i get that i know that and it's not always something that happens instantaneously but i still need to be willing to forgive amen oh don't shout me down when i'm preaching good this morning okay because we have to be willing to give it if we want to receive it and we have received it we like receiving it. i don't know about you i'm a fan of forgiveness i like it i'm grateful for it i'm a fan of the love of god aren't you i, I I'm, I'm a big fan of the grace of god and i want the grace of god i want the love of god the forgiveness of god but i shouldn't sell it short because i'm unwilling to show it to others I need to be willing to share that with other people. And Paul says we need to be rooted and grounded in this. He actually prays for the church, that the church may be rooted and grounded in this type of love, the love that would bring in an outsider, a Gentile, and would make him family. The love that would bring in someone who was not a part and make him a part, and not just make him a part sometimes, but make him a joint heir. That type of love, that's the love with which you and I were loved. That we were aliens and strangers and foreigners and we were enemies of God, as Romans says. And now we were far, as Paul said in Ephesians 2, but now because of the grace, we've been brought near. And if I freely receive that, we must freely give that. That to say, Jesus plus nothing else equals everything that I need. That he is sufficient. And so here's what I want to leave you with today, and I want you to write this down, remember it, share it on social media, put it on a little card where you see it every day, whatever the case may be. Rest in Christ. Humble your heart. Love intentionally and sacrificially. When you love intentionally and sacrificially, that means you do it on purpose and you willingly inconvenience yourself for the sake of another. Is that not what Christ did for us? He intentionally, on purpose, inconvenienced himself for the sake of another, for you and for me, for God so loved the world. They gave his only begotten son, right? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, after being beaten, mocked, after being wounded and beyond recognition of just a, a beat, beaten, bloodied, whipped, nailed to a cross person hanging on the cross and you would think to all those people who were spitting and mocking, you would think Jesus being God, if I were God, lightning bolts are coming tomorrow. Ooh, I'm gonna get every one of you, ooh, especially you. And he could have if he wanted to. But instead, Jesus didn't utter out those types of vengeful words like you or I would. No, what does Jesus utter out when he's in that position? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do intentional, sacrificial. We're called to be living sacrifices every single day. We're called to rest, to gain our strength. We're called to humble ourselves, to acknowledge our limitations and acknowledge our dependence on him. And when I'm intentional about being inconvenienced, guess what that means? It means it hurts a little bit, it does. I don't like being inconvenienced. I want all the lights to be green, especially when I was driving down middle road the other day but they all wanted to go red and that's what they did i want them to all be green but guess what sometimes i am inconvenienced and i can't do anything about it but when i'm inconvenienced on purpose sacrificial i'm on purpose planning to be inconvenienced i, I would rather sleep in 
I would rather spend that money doing something else. I would rather spend that time doing something else. But because of the love of Christ that has compelled me, because of the mercies of God that I've been shown, I, I, it's just a reasonable act of worship and of service. So I'll say yes to something greater. I'll say yes to something eternal. And actually, it gives me strength. And this is strange because it's not the way that the world's economy works. But the way God's economy works is that when I give, I actually gain. The world says, when I give, I lose. But Christ says, when I get, as a Christ follower, I gain. When I actually appear to be losing, I'm actually winning because I'm losing myself and I'm dying to myself and I'm actually growing in strength in Christ. And it's backwards from the way the world works. And so we need to rest in the finished work of Christ. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And we need to bow our knee and declare our need and be willing to love and be rooted and grounded in that. Let's continue to worship him this morning as God solidifies these things in our hearts today. As we worship him, as we give him our best. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done. Let's give him our best today, church.